run Rommel's looking like he's got one more good run Zip's a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sakiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Hi, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. We're back to do an audio podcast because honestly, the video podcasts were really difficult. We had several platforms that weren't putting our content out, so we're just going to stick with audio now and see what the analytics look like as we move forward. On today's show, we're going to talk about the best time to buy a puppy in our main topic. Second will be essentials for your training of that dog prior to hunting season. And third will be a hunting tip, which is about getting things cleaned up around your duck blinds now. So we'll have a great show today. And it's something that I often will get called from people and they ask, you know, when is the best time to get a dog? And I always tell people, we don't start training until they're six months old. You want to put three months of training in. So if you can get a dog that is born in, say, January, February, for most people, that will hit the mark for their hunting season. Now, I would argue, and it's going to sound self-serving because I actually have litters that are on the ground where we do have a couple of puppies available. But I would argue that getting a puppy that is born sometime in late summer to early fall is actually more optimal just because those dogs will be a little more, they'll be at a better age and more mature for when you get to your training. So it's kind of the concept of when is the best time. I guess a lot of that also would fall to where you live. In my home state of Wisconsin, we have this thing called winter. And many times people do not want to do housebreaking and uh, house uh, training with their puppy uh, when it's cold out. So if you get a dog, let's say, for instance, that goes home in September, October, or even November, a lot of times you can miss that really cold weather and not have to stand out there with Mr. Floppy Ears while you are getting your, your housebreaking done. It is, honestly, there, there is no perfect time. You're always going to have a family event, school, work event, there's always going to be something that makes it more difficult to get to the point where you're going to have uh, this puppy and you're going to work with them. But ultimately, it comes down to maturity at training for me when looking at when to get a dog. I will have people that will buy a dog even from the litters that we're sending home now and say that they want to, quote, take them out to get an experience. You don't take dogs out to get experience prior to being done with training. You want to make sure that they're through their training, that they're under control, 
and that they've been properly introduced to everything because if you don't, that is when you can run into problems. Let's face it, when you go out and you are in a duck blind or you're at a public hunting ground for pheasants or even a game farm, you'll see numerous people that have dogs that are just wild and out of control. They'll blame the breeder. They'll blame the dog himself. Ultimately, they need to blame themselves. When you look at your training, you start your structure when they're a puppy by telling them no and letting them know that they have to obey certain rules of the house. As they get older, you start working with them on their obedience. You start your formal obedience after six months old where you reinforce it with an e-collar. And then from there, you start adding things in. Gunfire, birds, force fetch, or your control, your trained retrieve, yard work, field work work out of a boat, work out of a blind. You're going to have all of these things that you're working on that are going to set you up so that you don't have a dog that does something wild and terrible like run in front of a gun or be scared of gunfire or eat the bird and won't come back when you're out in the field. Most, not all, but most of your training issues or your issues of dogs in the field are created by the trainer himself. When you have a dog that is gun-shy, that is because you put them into a situation that was just not fair for the dog. And I had, early on in my training, I had a dog. I had worked with her. She was no longer, uh, she was introduced to the gun, birds, worked with her on a one-on-one. What I never thought of was you can create a gun-shy dog by sticking them in a blind with a bunch of people. This dog I was guiding at a, at a pheasant club Bird went up, four guys shot, all shot three rounds, dog ran back to the truck. Now, the dog was scared, hiding under the truck, didn't try to take her back out, put her away, and then just slowly, incrementally worked with her to get her back to that point where she was in a good spot. Could have lost her if I had taken her out and just tried to hunt her again to give her, quote-unquote, more experience. But understanding that she was scared, I understood that I had to work with her on a much slower pace and start adding things in. When you take your dog out hunting, if it's the first time, have one person do the shooting, work on handling your dog, keeping your dog in, keeping your dog under control and just watching them. Because as you watch them in that first hunt, during that first season, you're gonna see what you need to work on when you're working back in the field. When you have a major issue, you can't fix it while they're out hunting. You have to fix it during training. And you honestly shouldn't take the dog back out until they are fully through that. So that's all stuff to keep in mind. We get excited. We're taking our dog out. This is our dream. Just make sure that you are not the reason that your dream fails. So again, going back through the the first part of the topic, the best time to get a dog is making sure that you have time to train them before hunting season. Training starts at six months old. You want to put at least three months in. If it's cold, obviously it's uh, it's nice if you get them uh, before the snow flies and never fret about having a dog that's quote too old to train because if you have a dog that let's say is born in July or August and you aren't going to be able to get to train them until the next summer, that is fine. Work with them on their regular obedience. You can work with them on an e-collar. You can do the hunting training stuff later but make sure they don't develop bad habits 
and you'll actually have a dog that's going to be easier to handle because they're older and can take pressure better once you get to that formal training. So I hope that helps for this part of the show. Next up, I wanted to talk about the essentials for training. All that and more coming up after this. When my family is looking for a newer used vehicle, we only shop at the Boucher dealerships in Janesville, Wisconsin. We've bought seven vehicles now, Ford, Chevy, and Ram, all from Boucher. They have a knowledgeable staff, they're friendly, and they give you a great price. And remember, Boucher will ride with you every mile. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help. Please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on. Give us a thumbs up. And above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with Dogs in the Field. Thank you so much for your help. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is a training tip portion of our show. And I wanted to talk about the essentials that you need for working with your gun dog. You want to have stuff that is going to perform well in the field in hopes that your dog performs well in the field. You're going to get there if you work with your dog and look at it as you're building a house. You start with the house's foundation. With the dog, that is your e-collar reinforcement, your obedience training, and your trained retriever force fetch. And then from there, you're going to build up. First floor is going to be your introduction to birds, your work in the field, and so on. We at least want to get your introduction to everything, your field work, and have a dog under control prior to working with them and taking them out hunting. Now, some of the things you're going to need, you're going to need a good electric collar. It's funny because I will hear the phrase out there that shock collars are terrible. They're mean to their uh, dogs because, oh my God, they shock them. They're not really a shock collar. It's more of like a trickle. It is less than you'd think if you put it on your hand and push the button. The funny thing is many of the people that will say that these collars are terrible have invisible fences for their dogs. Folks, it's the same collar. It's the same correction. One is just a handheld. The other is just a collar that is activated when a dog goes near a probe or some method that is going to uh, turn the collar on. These are the, the mis misnomers out there about training. The other thing is people will say that they're going to feel mean training their dog. I will tell you that a dog that has structure, a dog that has training is a happier dog because you're not getting frustrated with them. They understand if properly trained that they have to listen and then you're going to give them a ton of praise so that they're rewarded for their good acts. So we need a good e-collar. You want to have a good flat buckle collar on the dog so that if you have to put a leash on them, you can clip a leash to it. I like to have a slip lead. If I don't, I will have a regular collar again to use with my leash, but I like to have a slip lead in case it's an emergency. Now, many slip leads will also have a way to attach to the collar on the dog, but a slip lead is invariably just a collar that is has a loop on the end that will... Uh, fit over the dog's head and, and snug up to their neck as they pull. 
you're going to want to have yourself your doggy first aid kit. You're going to want to have your dog water and have a dog bowl. I still think it's the coolest thing. I know some people that will teach their dogs to drink uh, out of a bottle. I actually started using uh, bottles with water uh, with the dogs where you can kind of pour it into their mouth and let them lap it up that way. But you want to make sure that you have clean water for the dog. And then you just want to look at the train you're in. Some people will hunt where there's a lot of cactus. They'll take boots. You want to have, if you're, if you're doing upland hunts, if you can get an orange, uh, some people will run an orange vest on their dog. If you're waterfall hunting, neoprene vest. Whatever you have for your dog, just make sure that the first time that you're putting it on them is not when they're in the field. Make sure you're doing that stuff when you are training so that the dog doesn't have something happen where they're like, holy cow, what is this? Dogs want to please you if properly bred. You have to put them in a position to succeed. And doing that is by getting good equipment that is going to hold up and do well out in the field. So have the essentials, have them on a good food, have them on or have, have your water, have everything in place so that your dog can be successful and remember to put your training into them. Next up, we're going to talk about the importance and time to get that blind ready. All that and more coming up after this. If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sagiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome back to the show. It's time for our hunting tip, and it is almost that magical time of year when hunting starts. Now is the time you want to go out, work on your blinds, clean them out, make sure that the cover is not so thick that you can't see birds come in, get your cover trimmed down, and get them prepared. There is always work that you can put in on duck blinds. We're talking about something that is sitting out in the water or near the water. It is just in a position to be in poor shape because of it. So get yourself out there, work on these blinds and get them ready so that you have it where you're gonna have fun once you get out there hunting. Nothing is worse than discovering you've got a problem with your blind on opening day when you're in your favorite blind and it's dark. Trying to fix it, you can hear the birds whizzing around. I've been there, that sucks. Nothing is also worse than having birds come in and flare because your blind is not properly uh, is not properly camouflaged. We have a lot of a permanent type of a, a cattail, like a plastic product that looks like cattails that we've painted that are on our blinds. They work great. 
They uh, are durable. Mm -hmm. They last season to season. The other thing that we'll have is we have a lot of cattails. Now, when it's early, like for our teal season in September, your inclination is I'm going to clear those cattails out so that I got clear view and can see. You will overdo it. You will take down too many of them. And then when you get into big duck season, you're going to have a blind that is sitting out there all by itself. How do I know that? Well, because I've done it. Try to make it so that, yes, you can see, but you're shooting through the cattails. Try to make it that, yes, they are pretty thick and go out at least five yards to 10 yards in front of your blind. And then when season comes after the cattails have died and they've receded and shrunk, you're still going to have some cover. You don't want to put the focal point on your blind sitting right out there in the open for the birds. When you do that, it just makes it more difficult. It is hard enough to have our blinds on water because many times you put them in an area that is not that, uh, that is a little bit deeper water so you can get to it. It is more difficult to use something that is not natural to blend them in rather than just having the natural surroundings blend your blind in. It will get beat up over the year. It will, uh, the, the cover will get knocked down. You likely are going to have to add some camo to your blind year after year. But if you leave what nature gave you up and don't cut it back too far, that's going to help you. Get the weeds cleaned out, get your chairs set, get your dog station set, and you will have a better season. I want to thank everyone for listening to today's show. It was great having you all on. We appreciate everybody that stops in to listen to our show. Uh, get out, spend some time with your kids. You can't take those memories. Uh, you always have those memories uh, in your future. Work with your dog. Get them ready for the field. Get yourself in shape. Thank you again for listening, everyone. Have a great week and God bless. Sporting Dog Adventures